hello, and welcome to the second of two Q&A podcast episodes here on the Coastline Covenant Podcast. Today, we discuss things like going into ministry, jobs we would be doing if we weren't in ministry. We discuss what it's like to be an adolescent in 2021, and we talk a lot about the covenant denomination. So if you've ever had any questions about what makes Coastline a covenant church and what makes the covenant church distinct, this is the episode for you. But now we are going to give away some books. Whoever submitted a question was entered in to win Delighting in the Trinity, The Deep Things of God, Phoebe, and Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul. So without further ado, the winner of the books is Michelle Stout. Michelle, thank you so much for your questions. We'll be getting those books to you. And thanks, everybody, for your questions. We loved answering them, and we will do another one of these at some point soon. But until then, we will see you next week and every week after that here on the Coastline Covenant Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant Podcast, part two of our Q&A episodes. Um, thanks to everybody who listened last week, and stay tuned for the end of this week, where we announce the winner of four books, none of which we've mentioned on this podcast. All of them have been on previous ones, but we've mentioned oh. so many books last episode, I feel like it could be like 20 books we give away. Like, you can have all the books if you want them. They're all yours. Anyway, we finished, and Garrick had some things that he wanted to bring uh, up specifically for parents of teens in the Bible Project. You said it's been helpful for you. Yeah, it's been helpful, totally helpful for our family. You know, we were talking about how to have devotional life with small kids. Um, it's equally challenging thinking about how do I build devotional life with teenagers. And we have found that the videos in Bible Project have been tremendously helpful. Like, hey, after dinner, we'll throw it on the computer, put the computer on the dinner table, watch one anywhere from six to eight minutes. Then each you know person will share like, hey, what's one thing was cool or one thing you learned, and then we're done. Like, and it's it, they're really, really well done. Can you think offhand of one video that particularly got a good discussion from your family? Genesis. Oh, the Genesis one them. rocks. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, so I think it's a two part deal. Yeah, so for yeah. those of you who have not seen the Bible Project, I'm sure you have. But if you go on YouTube and type in the Bible Project, they have like different types of videos. They have like themes, so like justice or holiness, mm-hmm. and then they have word study. Like in the Shema series we're doing at Coastline, I know a lot of us are using the Bible Project's kind of word by word breakdown of the Shema. I know yep. I am for soul, or I did for soul, I should say. And then they have the whole book of the Bible where Tim Mackey kind of does an overview, and they're all animated and they're really well done. Yep. And uh, so Genesis is two parts. I think Psalms two parts yeah. as well. Romans might be two yeah. parts. If the, you want to begin to see the real value of like a book like Leviticus, dude, check out the video. It's totally. so good. So anyway, mm-hmm. I just want to throw that in there because I know devotional life with yeah. a family is tough when you're so busy and you kind of sometimes don't know where to start and getting your students and kids to engage can be hard. Good place to start. Yeah, and beyond that, you know, I've heard Tim Mackey on his podcast say that the reason that he started the Bible Project is because of John Salehammer's Compact NIV Commentary, which is another book I'd recommend. It's like 300 pages, but it's it's kind of like broken down like an index or like an mm-hmm. encyclopedia. It's like Genesis, mm-hmm. author, time, themes, main verses, main ideas. Like, and, and if you've ever wondered, like, I wonder how to get a 50,000 foot view of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I totally recommend John Salehammer's uh, compact NIV commentary. The only problem is I don't think you can really find it except on eBay. So that's where I bought mine. Oh, really? They don't? It's small, it's blue, it's hardcover. It's it's, in, it's invaluable. I really, really recommend that resource. So anyway, okay. that was from last episode. 
Moving forward. Moving forward, onward and upward. So this this one, last one was kind of all about things we consume and enjoy and, and give us life. And this one is significantly more focused on ministry and uh, kind of like the theological nitty-gritty of specifically the Covenant Church. So I'm really excited to get into all that stuff. But the first question is kind of light, and I would really like to hear everybody's answers to this. What alternative jobs or careers would each team member want? Let's try to answer for Michael first. Oh. Uh, like it's going to be like games, right? Oh, board yeah, games, yeah, yeah, yeah. A professional no board, board game gamer. Creator. Create creator. board Pro- games. Professional Monopoly player. <laughs> if there was such a thing. <laughs> the thimble. The th- he's, yeah, he's the thimble. Good one. Garrick, what would you do? Oh, um, I would either be, and it can be anything you want, like, doesn't sure. have to be. Yeah, I would Trade love to thing, be man. a trader on uh, like a stock exchange. Oh, would be wow. so fun. Um, and then in reality, I think I would be probably in, if I wasn't involved in ministry, I'd be involved in real estate because mm. it's kind of this. It's this perfect balance of like finance meets people. Mm. Um, and I actually had my real estate license back. Got my license when I was back in seminary. Used that to kind of support self and family through seminary. Um, and really enjoyed it. Were you, okay, so during seminary, did you have like a lawn sign that was like, the best prices in town, Pastor Garrick? <laughs> no, I didn't. Remax. No. 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 Face but I was working under a yeah. broker and got my license and was kind of helping him out. And then I had some of my own side deals going, going on the side. So. Do you still actively do that? I do not. Okay. I let my license go years ago. I need a house, so you're, yeah. I was going to call you. I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get so many cold calls now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't. I can't afford a house. A I'm in so much debt. Anyway, <laughs> Sean. Uh, I'd be a landscape architect, just planting flowers all day what? long, digging up weeds, telling you where to move your koi pond to. Yeah, I'd be doing that. I'd be so happy to. Oh. A simple life. Just a man. A lot to unpack there. The trowel <laughs> and some impatience. Where to move your koi pond to? Not a lot of koi ponds, but you know, if you got one, <laughs> I had you one growing up. Think about where you're going to put it. Yeah, right? Yeah, we did. And my sales have one. Yeah. With, yeah, they do. They, with a lot of koi. They do. Yeah. We had, uh, where the house I grew up in, We uh, the backyard backed up to like a gully, like a big kind of like open swamp-ish area in Torrance. And... um we put koi ponds in our, or we put koi in our koi pond. And one night we came out and a raccoon had eaten them all. But <gasps> how does that not happen every day? It, it, we had, it a, we had a really good run with the koi fish. And then, but the crazy thing was, is it laid the raccoon, like laid it out, like the bodies, like gutted them and laid them out. Like a hit? Yes. Yeah. And it like lined the pond and they were, it was kind of like taunting us. <laughs> I have a, a, a really big Seriously. phobia of raccoons. <laughs> Oh, that didn't help then. I'm this so sorry. Triggering really? story. Don't move to Torrance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Actually, one of the first times I think I was le- I was leaving one of your guys' houses at some point, oh, yeah. and I came up against some some raccoons in the street. <laughs> you had a showdown with I the raccoons. It's like West Side Story. Um, <laughs> the the largest, <laughs> most beefiest raccoons I've ever it was seen yoked. in my life. It was yoked. So, anyway. I was terrified. Yeah, could you I, help, I think if, I cried. If you were a landscape architect, could you help me with my koi fish and the raccoons, or is that not in your jurisdiction, in your perfect world? You, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm not dealing with actual mammals. I want to deal with, like, plants, okay. you know, okay. the, something with less free will. Got it. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Oh, yeah. Rochelle, what would you be doing? 
Um, I would be a high school history teacher. Oh, that's fun. That's wholesome. Yes. It's way better than a landscape you know. architect. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter, what would you do? Work at the Apple Store? Well, I'm just jealous because I wanted to be a landscape architect, and now no, <laughs> that's I'm not true. Now you can't. Um, I've made the joke recently that I would really like to work at Frito Lay and go try to sell um, like chips and and like kind of fast food branding to like grocery stores and gas stations. I think that'd be really fun. Like, and then I think the idea would be like work your way up and kind of like help market fast food. I am obsessed with, um, like the branding and the, the lore behind like Carl's jr. And McDonald's and Chuck E. Cheese. Oh yeah. They have stories. Behind Carl's jr. Or Chuck or Hardee's depending on where you're listening to this. Um, yeah. Chuck E. Cheese, things like that. I feel that like stuff you're not a huge me. fast food guy, though. I'm not, but I really love like the the essence of American fast food. It's cool. I'd like to be a part of it. I'd like to help shape the culture. Because <laughs> <laughs> is it just that like marketing meets like people? Yeah, and it's also weird because like why does Chuck E. Cheese need to have a backstory? But it does. Okay, we are about to just lose the plan for this podcast and we're going to focus only on that thing that you just said about Chuck E. Cheese's backstory. I could tell you the in two minutes. rat. I could t- tell you in two minutes the backstory of Chuck e. I really can. Why Man. do you know this? It, oh. People, I'm really sorry. You wanted to hear about the covenant, but we're about to what? hear about, about... What is his name, by the way? Well, his name is <laughs> Charles <laughs> Entertainment Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'm not going to do this. It's I'm not too going to much. do this. It's I, too they, much. We, we're, like people are throwing their phones out the window now. Yeah. They're not listening to this. I think people are actually dying. Okay. Basically, I, long story I, short, Chuck E. Cheese did not start Chuck E. Cheese. It Charles. was originally called <laughs> Pasquale's. <laughs> what? And that didn't take off. No, Pasquale grew up. In Italy, as the son of pizza makers, I don't want to even publish this. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> did you, Rochelle? Did you just like, you squeaked? You're laughing so hard. My asthma. <laughs> oh, she's not, like she's crying. Anyway, I, and you know what's funny is someone listening to this, like students or my staff, have heard me talk about this before. How just insane I think this concept is. Pasquale was a pizza maker in Italy. He came over to America to start a pizza thing, but he got really into stand-up comedy, so he started a pizza slash entertainment center. But his stand-up comedy was so bad that it went out of business. One night, in the audience was Chuck E. Cheese. He offered to buy the restaurant and help him continue his career. End of story. What? That is the canonical lore of Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> wow. That will be cut out of the podcast. No, no you how can't. How do we transition that? It we need to find out. It is the best moment we've had on the podcast okay. so far. <laughs> Here, let's transition to the next question. When did you guys know <laughs> you wanted to go into ministry? Oh, man. Jarek? Oh, yeah, Garrick, what did you know <laughs> you wanted? Stop making me start. No, it's <laughs> Rochelle and I are laughing too hard. Um, no, I have a, a really interesting story. Uh, my sophomore year in college, I was sitting in, in my car with a friend of mine from college, Ken, who's actually come mm-hmm. to Coastline. And shout out to Ken. Uh, we're sitting in the car, and Ken was working with Campus Crusade at the time, crew now, and planning on going and staff with them. And he turned to me, and we are both Christians, uh, you know, faithfully following the Lord in college. And he's like, why wouldn't every Christian want to be in full-time vocational ministry? And I remember turning to him and going, why would any Christian in their right mind want to be in full-time vocational ministry? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of my trajectory. Um, And I was studying to be a high school history slash economics teacher um, was my plan until, um, yeah, until, until God really moved me. 
Um, and so I wasn't running toward it. I was almost even running away from it. Um, and then God did some significant changes in my heart. And he, make a long story short, the things I wanted to do, he stripped away my passion for them, which sent me in kind of this desert experience um, right as I was about to graduate college, going, wait a minute, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, and now I have no interest in doing it whatsoever. So now what do I do? And the pivotal moment for me was meeting with a covenant pastor up in Santa Barbara and him helping me understand that a pastor is not just a Sunday morning preacher. A pastor is a shepherd, someone who takes responsibility to help a group of people grow spiritually over the long term. Mm. And once I delineated out those significant different roles that a pastor does, then I could put myself in that category and it all made sense. And from there, just ran after it. I mean, that's so funny. I love that question. I've heard you tell that story before. The Why would anyone want to go into yeah. full-time ministry? Yeah. And I sometimes think that. And I yeah. think we all have moments like that, but that's I like your vision. That's, yeah. that's a really, really great story. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I, I can remember being in junior high. I knew then. And it started with just looking at the youth pastor and saying, wait, that's a job? Like, they, they can do that for a living? That's You can dedicate your life to... Uh, loving students, leading ministry, teaching the Bible. And that just, I thought, man, that's going to be the best job on, on earth. Yeah. And over the course of time, um, getting opportunities to preach and do that and finding um, a natural gifting towards it, a love for it. Uh, I used to write sermons in my bedroom at night, just uh, trying to see if I could find my way through difficult passages. Mm. Um, so I, I knew really young. I knew really young. That's sweet. That's sweet. I have a very similar story. I was like in junior high and I was just like, wait, that's a job? Yeah. And again, like being a giant nerd and like researching things, like I, I saw the Bible as something to learn mm-hmm. and like to understand about. And, you know, I always loved when pastors would say, well, the context of this and mm-hmm. they actually mean this. And, and we know this about this person or this place. And I just like, my goodness, you can mm-hmm. learn that stuff. Like mm-hmm. I want to do that. And I'm really lucky to be able to have done that. Yeah. What about you, Rochelle? Um, I stumbled into ministry by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was very similar where I never wanted to work for a church ever. Um, and I had told people that (laughs) I was very adamant about that. Um, but I wanted to be, I always had a love for the church. I think growing up, not in a Christian house, um, I kind of came to faith in high school. And so the church was very much a refuge for Mm. me, um, and became like family. And so I was always very dedicated Uh, to the church, I think, but I had taken the route of more um, nonprofit, social service, wanting to kind of be the hands and feet of Jesus in a secular environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, and eventually moved to working with faith-based nonprofits, Mm -hmm. um, which then moved into come work at this church. And um, and interestingly, I just took the job, (laughs) my first job in ministry, I just took the job um, because I had just graduated college and I needed Mm -hmm. to pay my rent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, but once I got into it, probably within a couple months, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I kind of ran with it. So... I love the diversity of the stories, but mm-hmm. like yeah. it, it, you know, 
for some of us feels like like this immense pull and some of us kind of like a stumble, some of us this like hesitation. I just think it's a really good picture of like the diversity, not only of like the members of a church, but the staff of a church. Like we we probably represent or, or I guess like people in the coastline family can probably identify with all of these stories when it comes to like something that they feel like God has called them into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like some, some people are like, man, I felt so pulled into coast coastline. Like I knew this was the place for me and some people listening or some people kind of at another church and maybe thinking about it, it's like, man, I, I'm feeling this hesitancy. Why would I want to, but I'm feeling this pull. So that's just a good reminder. Like just be faithful, like be a faithful Christian, listen to the Lord's call. And, um, I, I, I just love the diversity of that story. Again, I think so often we talk about how important diversity is in a church. Mm. I think a lot of times we're just talking about the congregation, but it's so important to have diversity of staff and diversity of call in staff. And I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And this next question kind of hits that as well. Uh, we had a, a college student ask this. Um, I know this student, she, she's uh, majoring in STEM at Cal State Long Beach, which mm-hmm. is rad. That's so um, cool. But she asked this, she wants, she wants to go into ministry one day. She feels mm-hmm. like a sense of calling to ministry. And she says, should I take Bible theology classes during college to prepare to go into ministry, even though I'm already studying a different major? So basically she's asking, Hey, if I want to work yeah. in a church one day, do I have to go to seminary or take Bible classes? Yeah. So I'll, I'll speak a little bit to this because this is similar to my experience. I went to UC Santa Barbara. I was knew I was going to be a pastor I was taking religion and theology classes there, New Testament literature classes there, and they were uh, unhelpful. <laughs> to uh, say the least. Whacked. Absolutely unhelpful. Yeah. Uh, and so I would say, if your question is at Cal State Long Beach, should you take classes on Christianity? I think you're going to find them to be very fringy and, and not going to really do much to build up uh, your seminary education. It might give you um, some experiences. Some It might sharpen you in some ways, but it's... It will not be helpful, and chances are those classes will not transfer. So, oh, that's just like on a pragmatic level. Just, like yeah. just don't like, even don't even do it. Well, it's going to be you're going to pay thousands for the class. Yeah, they're not going to transfer, and it won't be helpful. So, I just I, can can I speak to this sure. as somebody because you didn't? Uh, yeah, I didn't. Um, I think what you need to be in ministry is you need to be a lifelong learner. Um, I don't necessarily think that that always me- needs to be a formal biblical degree. Um, if you have the gifting and the skill set and, and the calling, God is going to put people in your life and equip you to do the job. Hmm. Um, I do think it's important to kind of have that mindset of wanting to learn as much as you can. Um, but so and and I think you have to look at the cost, right? So if the cost of of doing that, um, it's. It's good for some people, and it's maybe not the right move for other people. So um, I know that there are some people where it's it's a really good move to do that, um, and then others. And for me, it, it, it wasn't. Um, at the time, it wasn't. Maybe one day. Yeah. But at the time, going in to do ministry, um, yeah. yeah what, what I would encourage, what I ended up doing, I went to UCSB like Sean, and so didn't have a formal biblical training. And yet I knew before seminary was a huge commitment. Like if you're going to get a master's in New Testament and MDiv, huge financial commitment, huge time commitment. Um, And I do think if you want to work in ministry, you should uh, think about uh, a degree of some kind. Because I do think Um, it opens the door in a lot of places. To get that door open to you, I think a theological degree helps uh, get the job and open the door. 
Um, I did ministry with an on-campus ministry with Janine and some other folks, um, and it didn't require uh, a theological degree. And that was great for me because then I got two, three years of ministry experience to decide, is this what I want to do? Oh, that's cool. And then I'm ready to go and commit four years of my life and like 40, 50 grand to this endeavor. Like I was just afraid. Like it, you know, when you're 21, 22, trying to figure out what to do, it's a huge commitment of time, energy, and money. Right. And so oftentimes these places will have internships. If you do campus ministry, uh, internships, someday we'll have internships at Coastline. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a good way to get involved in practical ministry for a year or so. And then you're able to say like, okay, do I want to go explore, you know, graduate? level education because I did hit a point as a 24, 25 year old where I knew like, okay, I need more biblical knowledge if I'm going to take the next step in developing the people around me. Mm -hmm. And that was my drive. Like, okay, I'm now ready to go to seminary and learn because I'm trying to, you know, um, grow and walk with a 22 year old who's asking really hard, insightful biblical questions. Right. And it's above my education, above my pay grade. Yeah. So. That's all good, all good advice. And I, I, again, I think it comes down to calling. What's God yeah. calling you to? Like, are you being called to be like the senior pastor, executive preaching pastor of a church? Like maybe Bible classes would be very helpful for you. Right. But like, I think in a lot of admin roles where you kind of learn on the job and you're not like less of a minister because you don't have a theology degree, but like I think of, you know, plenty of admins I've worked with. I think of Tiffany Adams, you know, shout out Tiffany Adams, who is extremely pastoral yep. um, yeah. and super wise, just yep. not, does not have a Bible degree, but I would yeah. trust her to lead, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And we weren't trying to answer the question, do you need a Bible degree to be a minister no. in God's kingdom? The no. answer to that is obviously no. The answer is no. But no. The, the reality is if you're trying to get a paid position in a local church, right. It is extremely helpful in most places. Right. Extremely helpful. Um, okay. So this next question is interesting. What's it like to be an adolescent in 2021? I actually asked two adolescents this question. So mm -hmm. I will play that right now and you can listen to what they said. All right. Well, here with me to answer the question of being an adolescent, two actual adolescents in front of me. Now introduce yourself and how old are you and what school do you go to? Uh, I am Hudson Butler. Talk I more into the mic, oh. Hudson. Hello, Thank you. I'm Hudson Butler. I am 15, going to be a sophomore and I'm going to South. Okay. I am Matt Curto. I am also going to be a sophomore, uh, 15, and um, I go to Redondo Union. Okay, so we have a couple of 15-year-olds in the room. Yeah. You guys are adolescents. So the question was, What's it like being an adolescent in 2021? Um, it's just hard with like all the change after like coronavirus and and just like all the change happening. Mm -hmm. It's we're both like left out of information and we're receiving too much. Oh, that's so it, interesting. So it's just like a just just overwhelming. Just like so much information, but also unknown. Can I ask you a follow up question? I know yeah. we didn't discuss a follow up question. <laughs> Where do you feel like you don't get enough information? Um, just like, I might just not be paying attention, but there's just, there's just so much like in the world that I don't understand what's happening. Okay. And like, it's just a weird in between age. Cause like, yeah, we're like, you're treated as an adult when it's convenient, but also as a kid when it's convenient. Oh, that's very, very interesting. That is very true. Okay. Mac, any follow up? Um, I think being an adolescent in 2021 is kind of like, it's like a pathway and it's like a never ending pathway and it's just twisting and turning like every second, just something new. And it doesn't matter if it's like an up or down new, but it's like, it's just changes constantly. And it's hard to 
handle and it's like, yeah. It's hard to handle. Yeah, you know, it's I, hard I, to handle. As someone who hangs out with a lot of adolescents, I can I can see that. Um, okay, so my last question then is, how can the church come around you as adolescents in 2021? Uh, just listen, because we there's just a lot happening. Wait, I'm so bad at it. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, just yeah, just listen. We we, we we have voices too, and like we just yeah. But there's a small youth community that like we we want we want to like be part of the church too, but also we we like we're a good bridge for like like the younger kids. Like they'll they'll need like us to like because like having high having high school is like a bridge between the like the super young church and like the old church right 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 it, it'll help help it like be bound together more yeah mac um i don't know i feel like that bridge statement's a really good statement like i feel like tr- treating us as as if we're also a part of the church like not just like oh they're just some kids that are a part of the youth group you know like treating us as if we were adults alongside the the coastline congregation you know like not just, we're not just kids. Not just kids. Well, hey guys, thanks for coming on. The, I'm sure the people are going to really appreciate it. And thank you guys for answering a question for us. That was great. Mac and Hudson, everybody. Yeah. The dynamic, Shout out to them. The dynamic <laughs> duo. Way to go, kids. They were here. They were just, they were just around. The and youth of said, America coming through for us. They said, it's so cool. He asked us to be on the podcast. And I said, it's a game of proximity, kids. <laughs> you were here. <laughs> And they know it. Okay, so these next, uh, this next chunk of questions, how we're going to kind of wrap up. Um, th- this is interesting, and I think that there is definitely a deeper conversation that needs to happen with mm-hmm. the idea of us being Coastline Covenant Church. And yeah. I get this question a lot from people who I talk to, like, yeah, Coastline Covenant. Okay, what denomination is that? Well, it's Evangelical Covenant. What is that? Mm-hmm. It's not one of your Baptists or Presbyterians. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not something like that, but it's still a really rich denomination with a lot. And so we had uh, one person ask these four questions about the covenant, but these are questions that I've gotten since we started here at coastline. So we'll kind of just go in order. Um, and, uh, Garrick and Sean, I think are kind of, kind of do the heavy lifting here cause they are ordained yep. covenant pastors. Um, <laughs> I just started the covenant ordination process and, uh, yeah. the, the hardest part so far is they asked for a record of all my debt. All my financial debt, which yeah. was it? Yeah, nice. which was a sobering Saturday morning for me. <laughs> anyway, so maybe you guys can tell us a little bit. Can you please explain the covenant yeah. denomination? Jack, maybe it's helpful to do a little bit of history, like I think uh, you the history start with some in, of the history. Forty-five seconds. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the covenant denomination begins in Sweden, and it really begins in Sweden due to the fact that there is a national church of Sweden that exists that all Swedes were expected to be a part of, right? So You're like, just born into as a Swede. Yeah, and that is the church that you go to, and as a result of it being literally a state church, it's fairly lifeless. <laughs> There's not a lot of spiritual transformation or passion or zeal happening there for the Lord. And so these groups of Swedes began to pull away from the church and started meeting in their homes to study the word together and to pray and to be a, a vibrant church. Mm-hmm. And these little uh, pockets, these little small churches, eventually begin to start to draw in people from other uh, Swedish denominations, like or maybe not even denominations, but the Lutherans begin to come over because they can see that there's this vibrancy and this love for the Lord. There are these passionate little churches, and so they begin to diversify in that. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time come together. And as they do that, they begin to find that they think different things about communion. They think different things about baptism. Yeah. And they have to figure out how they're going to handle it. And what they essentially decide is those are secondary issues. Hmm. 
what really matters is this incredible thing that God's doing right here amongst us in these home churches. So we're not going to divide over those issues. We're going to allow people freedom of conviction. We're going to hold to, uh, I think it'd be the authority of Scripture, transformed life, uh, the missional call. Mm-hmm. Um, deity of Christ. Deity of Christ. And these are the things that they build it on. Uh, and over the course of time, as Swedes immigrate to the United States, it comes here, and that's the foundation of what it is. But those same principles of being a fairly diverse body who chooses to major on the majors and not on the minors, where there is uh, difference of beliefs on secondary issues, but unity on what God's doing remains a real hallmark of the covenant. Yeah, they became a denomination in 1885. And if you go back and look at like the historical documents from that, the conversation and their meeting, I think there were the, the one thing that was really driving them of becoming a denomination was this idea of we can do more linked together than we can just individually. And so you'll hear this language in the Evangelical Covenant. Early on, they just called themselves mission friends. And it reminded them of, of we are banded together for the sake of the mission because we can do more together than we can by ourselves. Yeah. And that's I, I tell that story because that spirit is still really alive today. Yeah. Like this reality that when you get into the covenant, there's a desire to link hand in hand across churches, across ministry movements um, for the sake of doing great ministry together right. and elevating Christ. And it also carries that like high relational value. Yes. Um, Love it. And they, so they almost didn't, they almost actually linked with the EV free church. Uh, the free church was a part of the conversations and they were talking about doing things together. Um, but they wanted a little bit more linkage uh, between their churches than the, obviously the quote unquote free church mm-hmm. wanted. Right. So that's kind of how they ended up as the evangelical covenant church. It, they, if you get around the covenant, they'll always say that they're a really small denomination. And that's why when you say, oh, yeah, the evangelical covenant, people go, <laughs> what? Because it still is really small. And yet they are really mighty in the sense of the things that they pull off. Yeah. Like even when they started the denomination in the 1880s, like one of the first things they did was they started um, hospitals. Yes. Because the need of the day for their context and for their society was people needed healthcare mm-hmm. and you know, you didn't have the resources you might have today um, for many in our society doesn't include everybody. Um, but I think you, you begin to see their, their real desire of we want to follow Jesus in such a way that we bring the good news and we live the good news um, to the people that we're living with. And I've, I've always really appreciated that. And to this day, if you go to a covenant um, event and mingle with other covenanters, what you'll find is there's still people who speak Swedish and sw- sing the Swedish hymns, and then there'll be a, a black pastor and a fedora and a collar doing uh, a totally different kind of church, right? You'll find uh, Spanish-speaking churches that are really vibrant, and then you're going to find pastors in Hawaiian shirts. It is the most diverse group of people, and it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's great. It's really interesting that you can go to one covenant church and going to be very high church, Mm -hmm. you know, robes. And you're like, whoa, I felt like I stepped into like a Lutheran church. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can step into places like Coastline where you're like, wow, this feels kind of non-denominational because we're so low church. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that's, that's part of the the value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's rad. I mean, if that wasn't a good enough sales pitch, I don't know what would be. That's awesome. I want to join the covenant. No. And honestly, (laughs) when you spend time with them, they're the, they're just the best people. Because what they're really focused on is is on the mission, right? right? They're so focused on the mission and on loving each other in the mission that 
they just they love to linger. They love to have meals together. Um, it's constant meeting and time together, and it's th- they're it's the fantastic people. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead. You're and fine. if I am, you can tell I me. I feel like I feel like just like the covenant conversation. It, it, there, there are follow up questions I have that I think will hit on everything. So okay. just go. Okay, just to let our people know, if you go to uh, covchurch.org. Uh, that is the ECC's website, mm-hmm. and there's some great resources on there if you want to explore like more about the covenant. One of the resources that's there, uh, they have a short one-page pamphlet. Like I think it's like this is what we believe or this we believe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fantastic. And basically, what they're doing there, there are the the covenant if, because we're mission friends and we've said we've linked hands. Um, they give they give a lot of freedom of expression to each individual church. So what are the things that unite us, right? What are the things that make something part of the covenant? There's six covenant affirmations. Right. And let me just run through those real quick. Cause I yeah. think you'll find that this is really significant. And this is why Sean and I are ordained in this denomination and really believe in it. Um, it often gets a bad rap, um, or I would say, you know, in our circles, it has gotten a unfair, bad rap. Um, but here are the affirmations. We affirm the centrality of the word of God. And that's them basically saying like all ministry comes down to being birthed in the Bible and believing that the Bible is the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. So mm-hmm. this, this recognition of um, we're not going to be doctrinaire in our biblical approach, and yet we recognize that everything we do is central on the word. And there's this old covenant expression, where is it written? Right. I've heard that. And so they always want to go back to the Bible. And even in my training to be ordained in the covenant, they do a great job saying, look, how are you going to make the Bible central to your ministry? How is it going to flow right out of the Bible? How is your church going to flow right out of the, you know, commands of scripture? And I think that's important for people to hear. Um, Second one, we affirm the necessity of new birth. Do you have these as well? So it's not so boring that it's just my voice. Anyway, oh, okay, I'll just keep going. Yeah. So second one, the uh, we affirm the necessity of new birth. And obviously when you know the history, that makes sense because when you have people with you that are part of this church of Sweden, you have people that were born into it that are not believers. Right. And so this idea of new birth that happens through the Holy Spirit, that you come into this vibrant new faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and you are transformed. You go through that John 3 experience of a new birth, a new reality. That's very significant for them. So I know when they sat in these small groups that Sean was talking about, they would share stories together of, tell me about your new birth. Tell me about how, you know, we would say in today's vernacular, how did you come to be a follower of Jesus? So the centrality or the necessity of new birth is really significant. Uh, They affirm the commitment to the whole mission of the church. Um, And that's that whole idea of mission friends, that we're not just here to gather around in a circle and sing worship songs, but we really want to matter in whatever community we plan ourselves in, because God is about a a God of justice. Uh, Sean can tell you if you hang out with the covenant for any length of time, they care about compassion, justice, mercy Mm -hmm. ministries Mm -hmm. significantly to the extent where it always pushes Sean and I. Hmm. Um, And I think that's important for people to know for a lot of the stuff we're trying to address today with um, race and other issues. Uh, The last three I'll do really quick. We affirm the church as a fellowship of believers. Um, 
and we affirm a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, and we affirm the reality of freedom in Christ. Mm. And I think that freedom in Christ is significant. I think what people need to understand about the covenant is that it is not a boundered set. It's not a creedal denomination. Oh. It's not a denomination that says, here's our creed, get mm-hmm. in or get out. It's a denomination that's more of a, a centered set, meaning here are the foundational beliefs that we have, and we want everybody to move close to them. Um, and if it's not a salvific issue, we're going to give a lot of grace because we understand from Galatians 5.1, there's a lot of freedom in this individual pursuit of Christ and giving people freedom to follow their convictions. Holding that intention with we believe the Bible is authoritative. So I think they do, and which means you have to be relational. And can, Sean can attest to this. Mm-hmm. Things in the denomination move really slow mm-hmm. because when, you're, when you say we affirm the authority of Scripture and yet we also affirm the tenet of Scripture that says there's freedom in Christ, right. it takes time. You've got to work that stuff out, your different convictions in the context of relationship. And I value that, and that matters. And that's exactly why when Sean and I get ordained or that you will find when you guys go through the ordination process, they make it a three-year process. Yeah. There's only like four classes. You could do it in like six months. The whole reason they make you do three months is, or three years is because they want you to come to a bunch of covenant events and kind of what I call breathe the covenant air, which is like be part of the body, get to know people, live in relationship. So yeah. that's and- super important to me. And and what Garrick said that it's more of a centered set than like a confessional church, again meaning that there's things that they allow you to have a, a diversity of beliefs on. Right, where a right, confessional right. church would be like, you, we all believe this, and we're all like minded in this way. Yeah, if you don't believe okay, this, and let, let's just be honest, that's it's hard to be a centered set kind of church where you allow for differences. A boundary set. Yeah, it's it's hard to give each other the freedom to believe. Oh. Yeah, yeah. On the secondary issues, because some of those things really matter to us. Right. And yet what's preserved when you do that is a very diverse body with different gifts that can do so many different things for the mission of God, rather than have everybody kind of fit the same mold. Yep. Uh, that's why I believe in it, um, and it's one of the hills that I would die on, you know, just that you have to have the diversity of belief in there. Yeah. It matters to me. Yeah. Well, I feel like that was a pretty good overview of everything, um, kind of their goals and what they care about. The last question on here, I think, is going to be a deep conversation for Coastline mm-hmm. as we move forward. Uh, and and we don't have to answer the Coastline version, but this is something that we kind of have touched on with diversity of belief and stuff. Yeah. And the Coastline, ha- uh, the Covenant denomination has a view on women in ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so if someone was, you know, you're in an elevator with someone, and they said, you're a Covenant pastor. What do they believe about women in ministry? What What would you answer? How would you answer that? Yeah, I, I mean, if you do any sort of website search, you're going to run into it. It's an egalitarian denomination, yep. which means that they believe in the full ordination of women to serve in any capacity or any role in any church um, without restriction. Um, now, what's interesting, right, is that we come out of a church that is also covenant and was highly complementarian, right. meaning that there's very clear roles that women cannot do um, that are for men only due to the reading of the text. Um, so one of the things, that's the thing that confuses people sometimes. The covenant has recognized that there's people who are of a different persuasion of that, and they have allowed them to maintain their convictions mm-hmm. and not to move with the entire covenant denomination uh, to their position, uh, while still desiring that the churches that they plant moving forward would be more egalitarian and in line with who they are. Yep. 
they also know that Coastline is coming out of a very complementarian church. And so there's been a lot of dialogue about how do we do that, given our history of mm-hmm. who we are and who the covenant is, um, what will our position be on that? And so that's who the covenant is, and we continue to explore who Coastline's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the family theologian piece, right? Like we're going to yeah. have a lot of smart people weighing in and, and coming up with a statement and an idea and a policy that is so uniquely coastline. Yeah, that's what we currently tasked, you know, yeah. Janine and Andrew to do, which is yep. to do research and to think this through. And um, it's something that we'll be probably tackling here at the end of this year, early of next year, yeah. early part of next year. Yeah. 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 And the denomination will be. Uh, working with us as well. Yeah. Right. Like, so we'll be doing our work. Uh, we'll be tapping into the gifts of the family theologians, as we've mentioned. We'll be talking as a staff um, and having conversation about that. And then we'll be uh, conversing with the denomination as well. Um, and I think, you know, we, we don't know, but I think we, what we do know is that all of us in that conversation are looking um, to give more opportunity um, and platform women um, quite a bit compared to where uh, we've done ministry previously. Yeah. So we know that for sure, and how this fleshes out the nuances, and the all nuances, that, yeah. and what that means. We're in conversation about, and I would say, um, regardless of what your own personal convictions are, um, I would ask that you give us just continue to be patient with us um, because it's hard to work out these things. And your, you know, the larger things we need to work out, church polity, things like that, that will come. Hard to do these very deep, important moves when you're still building the plane that you're trying to fly. So that stuff is coming. Um, I know I've had a lot of questions from people about, hey, how are you going to answer this? Or when am I going to get language on that? Know that we're working on it. Yeah. Well, that's a lot especially about the covenant there at the end. And I think that, again, we didn't even hit on, I think, all the stuff we could with the covenant. And maybe it's worth getting some some special guests from up north, like Paul Wilson or, you know, Pat or anybody Yeah, I'd love to have Pat Stark on here. To come jump on and just talk about the covenant. Would love that. But until then, hey, everybody, thanks for your questions. This was really fun. Uh, This was a fun way to spend a couple hours at work. And uh, thanks for listening. We will be uh, seeing you next week and every week after that. I think that's the catchphrase that I that we've come up with. Rochelle's on it. <laughs> if that's so. our catchphrase, we should know it. I should I know. know He's it. he. I say we'll it in the there. intro. I say it in the intro yeah. every time. I never say it at the end. But anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Hey, somebody important just came in. Yeah, Megan just came in. Hey, hey Meg. <laughs>